I think that's the one thing is be good at one thing, at least to start. And I'm sure you and I, if you held a conference and you're looking for that one guy who's good at something that you can learn from in the room, right? And then once you talk to them, you're like, okay, check that box off. Like I talked to him. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by the incomparable Derek Hansen. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to everyone in the US of A. I hope you have a safe and happy Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy yourself, maybe not too much, be safe. I can tell you things will be very low key here. I have no coaching responsibilities in the gym, on a baseball field, on a soccer pitch. I'm going to lay low, recharge the batteries because, uh, yeah, next week is going to be a doozy. So, if anything, I'll probably chill out smoke a big pork shoulder so that we have something to nosh on this weekend and uh yeah just enjoy a little r&r so i hope you can say the same if you're not in the states hopefully uh you get at least a extended weekend of some sort where you can chill out and relax as well so as far as what's going on in my world things are definitely picking up in pace may is always busy uh, i start to get a lot of my college athletes back i get any fringe NBA guys start coming back. I get pre-draft guys. So the coaching of the athletes is definitely cranking up. I feel my hours going up. Uh, and I can tell you that right now is always busy too, because now is when I start to lay a lot of the big rocks in place. It's when I start to figure out, okay, where are these people at? What is their timeline like? What are their big needs for the off season? And everybody is different every year. Like that's what's exciting. And it's what still keeps me energized is, you know, Taya, somebody that I've worked with three or four years now, she's in a different place now. So what are we going to do? How are we going to help her get to the next level? Dakota, Ed, Ashley, Jeelan, Megs, like, what am I going to do with these people? And so that's what's fun is like taking pen to paper. And that's still how I do it, at least when I'm laying things out, but really trying to sketch out the broad strokes of, you know, how much time do we have? What do we want to accomplish? What are their big needs for this offseason? So really excited about that. I got a great crew in this summer. Uh, I think we're going to have a couple new people get started here as well. So just really excited about that. Coaching the kiddos is going great. Luckily, we only have about a week and a half of that left. Uh, actually just got home tonight from a baseball game for Cade and really proud of him, man. He was hitting the ball really well tonight. I don't even think of like getting on base so much as how many times do they hit the ball? And so Cade tonight was four for four, man. He put it in play four times. It almost works against him sometimes, though, since he's a lefty. If he hits the ball square, if he pulls the ball, he hits it right to the first baseman, which if you ever watched a Little League game is like one of the only times you can assure an out. Like anywhere else in the field where they got to throw it is tough, but if they can just field it and go touch the bag, it's tough. But man, he hit it great tonight. Really proud of him. He's gotten a lot better. As far as other stuff that's been going on, I joke around, but we basically had what I'm calling the field of dreams in our backyard for the last week. So I'd say five out of the last seven or eight days, we have had either a wiffle ball or a kickball game or both going on in our backyard. The kids are obsessed and it's so much fun. Like they, they did it for a day or two and they were using like makeshift bases. And so we you know, went onto the Amazon machine and like two days later we had bats and balls and, you know, bases. And so they've been loving it. And there was a day earlier this week where we had 14 kids in our backyard playing wiffle ball. So that's been fun to watch. Took the kids to Indy 500 qualifying. One of my best friends from college, Wes, lives in Fort Wayne now. So he brought two of his kiddos down. I got Kendall and Cade. Had just an awesome day yesterday. Went to lunch, uh, drove down to the track, got to watch the last chance qualifying. So like the guys that aren't in the race, but want to get in, they have like an hour and 15 minute window. So we got to watch maybe the last 30 minutes of that. Then there's a little break and then they do what they call the fast nine. And so that's the top nine guys, nine qualifying speeds. Then they go in and they basically do a four lap time trial to see what the starting order is, the starting nine order. So man, it was really cool. Uh, Just the looks on their faces when they could hear those cars, when they could see how fast those cars are going around the the track. It's just amazing. And I always tell people, like, I'm not the hugest racing fan, but man, if you get a chance to go to a big race like the Indy 500, 
I would assume like Daytona, something like that. If you can go to a big race just one time to experience it, you feel the energy, you just the smell and the sounds of the cars is really amazing. So uh, I do not think they're ready for the full race yet. If you've ever been to a full race, it can get a little dicey. So definitely going to wait a while. But at some point, uh, as they approach young adulthood, I am definitely going to take them to a race so they can experience that. And then last but not least, something I'm really looking forward to this week is Bill's birthday bash. So if you don't follow Bill on Instagrams or you don't follow him on Facebook, he has been working so hard taking voice lessons and he is actually going to sing with a band this Thursday night at a bar. And man, I just can't wait. I, I've heard uh, a little bit of him practicing. Sounds amazing. I mean, and kudos to him. Like, I couldn't imagine doing that. You know, I dabble with the guitar from time to time. I played piano a lot growing up. But the dedication it would take to get prepared to not just play, but to perform in front of, who knows, probably a couple hundred people. Man, kudos to him. I am so impressed and really excited to go and enjoy an adult evening and watch him just crush it. So that is what's new in my neck of the woods. Like I said up front, have a safe and happy Memorial Day. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Derek Hansen. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple, restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Derek Hansen has been working with athletes in speed, strength, and power sports since 1988. Originally working with track and field athletes, Derek expanded his services to assist athletes in all sports with an emphasis on speed development. He has since worked with some of the top performers in the world as a coach and a consultant, including Olympic medalists, world record holders, Canadian national team athletes, professional sports organizations, and professional athletes from numerous sports. Locally, Derek has produced some of the top sprinters in British Columbia and continues to work with some of the fastest athletes in various sports. In this show, Derek and I cover two primary topics, microdosing in sprint training, and the future of continuing education. With regards to microdosing, we talk about how to do it right and what some are doing wrong. Perhaps most importantly though, we talk about why it's not necessarily just about doing less. From there, we talk about how continuing education has changed over the years, where we're at now, and what it might look like in the years to come. Derek is always awesome to catch up with, and I know you're gonna love this episode. But enough for me, let's do this. Derek, man, thanks so much for coming back on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Ooh. <laughs> well, the current version or the old yeah. version? Um, well, you can do both. I mean, before this, you know, I was trying to help different pro teams with speed-related stuff, and I was doing in-person courses for people. 
through my running mechanics professional courses. And so there was a huge in-person component to everything I did and travel and meeting new people. And I would say the last year has been kind of in the isolation chamber (laughs) and still talking with people, but it certainly has changed. And obviously we'll talk about this, but I'm not looking at to reinvent myself, but certainly when it comes to like, you know, coaching speed or working with teams or engaging people, I'm really thinking about, okay, what's that going to look like? And and how am I going to, do I just fall back into what I used to do? Right. And I think on some level we can, but yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, there's still some demand for the stuff that I'm teaching. And maybe there's more in-person demand once I go back, but yeah, I don't know. I'm spending more time with family right now and helping my kids. Yeah. And so that's been a huge plus. So I haven't gotten away from coaching. I'm just doing it in a different way now. And I think that's been really kind of cool. And this is stuff that I will remember for the rest of my life. So I'm thinking it's a very positive thing. Yeah, I think anybody that comes out of this with the exact same business model didn't really learn anything. (laughs) You know, like we're all kind of adapting and kind of changing on the fly to to fit our current situation, right? Yeah, and people who are good are gonna continue to be good, I think, for the most part. And it is right, that word adapting is so important. And if you think you can do what you did two years ago, three years ago, well, you're gonna end up being like the blockbuster video model, right? Right. Yeah, that's great, man. So kind of covered a little bit of like what's new and what you're working on. So what I would love to do today is kind of have two focuses. I definitely want to talk speed because I can't have you on here and not talk speed. And I definitely want to have a section where we talk about like education because that's something that you and I are both passionate about. So if someone wants to hear your like core philosophy on speed, I'll refer them to our first episode, which my gosh, dude, I realized you were like one of my first five podcast guests. And I'm at like 280 now. So (laughs) it's been a while since I've had you on. But what I would love to hear is over that time, like what's changed? Like somebody that's been doing this at your level for this period of time, like what's changed or how have you evolved your coaching and your programming the last couple of years? That's a really good question. And I don't know if the actual content, like in terms of like the programming and the progressions and how I teach it, like in terms of delivering it in person. I don't know if that's changed. Certainly, I've changed a lot of the things around how I present it, how what examples I use, how I work more. One of the things that's really changed too is I'm trying to bring this to the masses. And it, it sounds right. a little cheesy, right? But, <laughs> but at the same time, as you know, you only have a certain number of opportunities to work in, say, pro sport or right. maybe college sport. And once you, you know, we're like stand-up comedians. Once you tell the joke, you know, then you got to go somewhere else and tell the joke somewhere else and tell and, you know, or you got to come up with new jokes, which is very difficult, good new jokes. And so, and I'm not saying that market has dried up, but certainly like we talked about before the adapting to the situation, I spent some time in New York City and good friends with Don Saladino and Pat Davidson. And, you know, I kind of saw what they were doing and how, in that environment, they're working with general population and they're doing quite well. Yeah. And it's a much larger market. You have some flexibility to do some different things and try some stuff. And you don't have these same consequences of, did you win the Super Bowl or, you know, are you all going to get fired, you know, this year? <laughs> so I think there's definitely some value in looking beyond, you know, I want to be working for pro sports teams and all that. And it's not just the monetary piece. There's other experiences and intrinsic value you can get from that in helping people. So I think that stuff has changed a lot for me is the way I look at the marketplace Mm -hmm. and how I'm going to bring speed to the masses in a safe, convenient way as well. But yeah, I don't know if it's changed so much in terms of like, wow, there's this new piece of equipment or I'm coaching it different. And Mm -hmm. you could probably say the same thing with a lot of the stuff you do. It's just maybe I'm approaching it from a different way or a different perspective and marketing it a bit differently. And if you and I talked four years or five years ago and we talked about how Instagram is like part of, you know, everything I do, I would say you're nuts, right? right. And, and it has evolved into a, a good way to communicate and get information out, mostly because the audience is very engaged. So, you know, that that's really changed a lot. And now that we're in COVID and we're going to get post-COVID, I'm sure I'm going to change some things up a little bit more. I don't know how yet. There's some things I've done, you know, currently. But yeah, it's really interesting. You're right. There has been a lot of changes, but, you know, you put the left foot in front of the right foot and vice versa. 
and you go fast. <laughs> and I don't know if that's really changed much. And, and even when I talk with Charlie Francis, like, you know, how has it changed since like, you know, the last hundred years? He's like, well, I don't know. Jesse Owens did, you know, kind of the same workouts that we're doing. And, you know, the track changed, the surface changed, the shoes changed, the political environment changed. But, you know, the runners run. Right. So I, I don't know if that's changed much. And, you know, we always talk about like, well, what if Jesse Owens ran on a, a new track with new shoes and, you know, he'd probably run pretty fast. Right. So so that's kind of how I look at it is I'm really aware of the environment in which I'm presenting this basic info and then trying to dress it up. And people want that. They don't want this vanilla formula. You know, even though the vanilla formula does work very well in terms yep. of improving people like, you know press, pull, squat, you know, right. nobody wants to hear that. It's like single leg, half a leg, uh, you know, <laughs> split, right. squat it well inverted. Right. So I'm aware of that. And so I'm just trying to stay within those boundaries. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's partly why I asked you that, because unlike the comedian, right, the comedian can always seek out new material, like the principles of what we do, like you alluded to, haven't changed a lot. So that's why I asked that question. Like if something had caused you to change, in the last three, four or five years, I wanted to know what it was, right? Because it was probably pretty impactful. Or I'm selling out, right? Or, or that too, <laughs> or that too. But, but you know, one thing that you mentioned that I love is this idea of, you know, training the gin pop and something that I've talked about with a handful of guests here lately is this idea of bringing power and bringing athleticism back to gin pop training. It's not just hanging and banging weights all day long. It's like helping them regain some of their athleticism. So I think like you alluded to, if you're doing that in this safe and effective environment, getting them to go out and sprint and train power development, which we know declines probably the most rapidly of all physical qualities as you age, that's really cool. Yeah, like I walk up, we're close to the school for my daughter. She's eight years old. And so I'll go and pick her up. And I was late. I forgot. I'm like, oh, right. I was on a Zoom call or something. And so I run up to the school and then there's a fence it's not that high. It's probably about, I don't know, 18 inches, 20 inches. Right. And I used to do hurdles when I was young. I used to do like 36, 39 inch hurdles. And, and so I'm running and I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump over this. Right. And I barely made it. Like <laughs> it could have been really bad. And you just think, well, I used to be able to just jump over anything. Right. And you right. Know, like hurting 52 this year. So a lot has changed. Um, but the other part of it is that we don't do those things. So then we get worse at them. So it's yes. like, you could say it's age or is it just your attitude around training? So uh, I found that, you know, psychologically, sometimes, especially when you travel a lot, you're like, ah, I'm done with that training stuff. Like I'm moving on. And then there's repercussions, yeah. like things ache more. Um, yeah. And you think it's because, you know, maybe you're sore because you train, but if you don't work out, things atrophy and things decay and it's just a natural process so by being somewhat regular and aggressive with your training you are helping people in a general health and wellness point of view so i think that's something that you know you don't really realize till you go through the process and, and you age and you go wow like you know i gotta pee more often <laughs> um you know, I don't sleep as well. And if I, you know, look at a donut, I gain an, a half inch on my waistline. <laughs> so all of those things, you're like, oh, it's so different, right? And right. when you age, you don't realize it till you're there. You're like, boom. And you think, well, well, just like a little while ago, I was, you know, power cleaning and doing all this stuff. And and you're like, wait a minute, that was 15 years ago, right? right. It, yeah. it passes so quickly. So you, we have very short memories. And I think, like you said before, if we if we drop back into our basic principles around training, um, we could probably do it safely. We could probably do it properly. But it's so easy to lose those qualities if you stop doing it. And, yeah. and I think that's the message probably both you and I are, are telling people now in this middle age group is keep going. Yeah. Like, and here's some guidelines around maybe how you can modify it. Yeah. No, I love that, man. And I think it'll actually go kind of seamlessly into my next question, because a concept that I know is very near and dear to your heart is the idea of microdosing. So for starters, what I'd love to hear is the backstory there. Like what got you interested in microdosing? Because I think this works very well with some of those older populations, right? Not going out and trying to kill it on the first day, but building up to it and then using it 
on a regular basis. Yeah, like there's a difference between the practice and certainly the term. And the term, I think, really was used in the pharmaceutical industry maybe 20 years ago, like, hey, let's start with low doses and see, you know, if somebody grows an eye and eyeball in their middle of their forehead, and then we'll back <laughs> off, right? Right. Um, it's like the Jerry Seinfeld thing. But, but that's where the term was used. And then I think around 2006, 2007, they started talking about psychedelics. And I think there was a couple of people who wrote books on it, right? So this term, you know, was already in place. But I, I would say around still that time, mid 2005, 2006, I was doing some stuff with Charlie Francis in terms of like tapering athletes down for competitions. And so he introduced some concepts to me about like, hey, you know, we can still have this frequency of training and we can still have the intensity. But if we cut the volume by, say, 50 percent, we can preserve qualities. You can improve readiness because they'll be a little fresher yeah. and, you know, they will have no problem peaking at an event. And so we did that with a couple of athletes and really kind of refined things and had very good results. And so I thought, well, okay, is there a way we can do this year round to kind of maybe get rid of some of the negative things like the soreness and the risk of overtraining and, and keeping people ready? Because, you know, as, as you know, in a professional sport, you got to be ready every other night. So that's kind of where it started, I would say about 50 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, these discussions we had about how can you manipulate volume, intensity, frequency. And then, you know, I thought at some point this microdosing term was interesting because it, you know, microdosing for psychedelics, I think it's like once every three days you take a little hit, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think in like, it was used for like, you know, people were trying to evade drug tests and like, oh, well, let's, you know, baseball players were doing like little doses of testosterone, oh, okay. uh, like small patches or whatever, small doses. And, and they would keep their whatever TE ratio down, yep. but they would still get the benefit. So stuff like that anecdotally really piqued my interest. And I think that's where I've gotten the concept to right now. And I think it's interesting. I think I, there are some pitfalls that we can discuss, but certainly it's very interesting. Okay. Well, that kind of goes right into this next one, because like all great thoughts, Right. And I think people have great intentions when they get hold of some of these concepts, but everyone has their own interpretation of how microdosing should be done. And sometimes that's for the better and sometimes that's for the worse. So with that being said, what are some of the mistakes that you see people making when it comes to this idea of microdosing? Yeah, that's a good question, Mike. I think and as soon as you start saying, like, let's do less I think people are like, oh, you know, it's kind of like me as I get older, I don't have to work out as much. Right. Right. And right then and there, that's the problem is like, well, what does less mean? And if you undershoot that and you do too little, well, then you're going to get into this detraining downward spiral. Yeah. And you may be kidding yourself. You may be thinking, well, we're doing it. You know, I've heard people say like, well, we're going to do speed once a week in season and uh, at such and such a volume. And I'm like, well, once a week isn't quite enough, right? right? So, and maybe even twice a week, it depends on the volumes, right? So this idea that you, you, there's a couple of things. One is you have to compensate for a drop in volume with an increase in frequency. So, you know, your weekly totals might be about the same as if you did it two times a week, full sessions versus five times a week, third of the session, right? Yep. Third of the volume. And I think that's where people fall off and people are using it as like, well, I work in pro sport and we microdose this. It's like, well, okay, what's your schedule? Well, we play three to four times a week. And it's like, well, are you doing it on game day? Are you doing it on off days? And, and then when you boil down to it, they're just using it, kind of cover their ass to say that they're doing something. But the implementation hasn't been proper because you know how it is. Like you try to get pro athletes to train regularly every day. It's really tough, right? Right. So you're like, dang, they're only want to train. They're only going to do that once a week. And so we're going to call it microdosing. So it sounds like we're intelligent. Um, <laughs> And so I understand that. But if you don't have that frequency of exposure, then you're going to detrain. And, and then the other part of it is, as you know, with pro sports, off season should be when you accumulate macro doses, right? So that right. it carries you through the season. But that's not happening now. Like, you know, this whole thing mm. with the NFL Players Association, you don't have to show up to your, you know, OTAs you know, facility. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And we saw what happened there, right? Like right. people are getting injured and not getting paid. So if you don't have that off-season volume, again, you know, this, this accumulation of work, then when you start training less, 
you have less to draw from. So you need this combination of this big off-season volume, and then you can microdose with the right amount of frequency at a lower volume, and then things should work just fine, right? And that, right. and I think that's what happened. Like you know, in the old days, like the, you have an off-season, people train. Michael Jordan would train, and and then in season, the games probably were pretty good at keeping them fit, but they still did some things. Like I, I heard an interview about like Dennis Rodman would lift after the game yep. and do a lot of work. And and I don't know if it's a work ethic thing. You might have you know some insight into this. Is it a work ethic thing? Is it over-specialization? Is it, you know, what else is it? Is it just people are so engaged with social media, they don't have time to work out? But I think we're losing this idea that the work ethic is important and the work has to be done. Now, my concept with microdosing is we're still getting the work done. We're just shortening the exposure on the day so that it doesn't seem like we're making people do excessive stuff. And we're kind of sneaking it in, but certainly you have to have that frequency piece. And if you don't, you know, people are going to get injured. Yeah, no, I love that. So I I have a follow-up here because I would love to hear from your perspective because you've worked in all these different arenas like pure speed development and like sprinters. You've worked with, you know, high-level football teams. Can you talk to us about the actual application of this? Because like you said, I think a lot of people have good intentions, but like just doing something once a week isn't microdosing like that's just training. So I would love to hear and you can give me any example you want, but like how you would fit this in to a typical program and just give us some ideas. How do you connect these dots and how do you put these pieces in place so that what you're doing is actual microdosing? Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. The best recent example, and, and I'm not going to name the player, but in the NBA, it seems like hamstrings are a problem now. Right. I don't know if Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan ever pulled a hamstring, but <laughs> but apparently it's an epidemic now. And baseball, we can go into baseball. But there's a player that was having hamstring issues, right? And so whenever somebody has a hamstring pull or a strain, my job is to go in and to get them running again. Again, it's a daily dose. It's like, yep. okay, you injure your hamstring, you get a couple of days off, and then we're accelerating every day. It's like, it could be 10 days in a row. Sometimes yep. it's like five days on, two days off, five days. But it is there's a frequency component to remodeling that tissue and getting the strength back. And so this player had the problem. And by taking them through the rehab process, successfully and saying you need a daily dose of this to keep your hamstrings strong and firing in the right sequence. Um, That was the best way to actually get them to maintain that and incorporate that as part of their normal routine because, hey, every time you miss a game, it's going to hurt your team and they're a contender. And he was a little later in his career and he wants to get, you know, a championship and and so by having him go through that hamstring tear where he missed games and, uh, you know, this is not good, my legacy, whatever, right. and taking him through that process, he's like, oh, okay, I get it. I need to do this because it's not part of my game. All these repeat accelerations, even though I might accelerate here and there, you know, basketball for the most part is a relatively slow game, but And especially nowadays, like with the three pointers and all that, it's a different game. So that's something that's deficient, that repeat acceleration. And now we have him doing it regularly. And I would say regularly, probably like four, maybe four, four days a week in season. So I think that's one of the best examples right now that I'm dealing with is they almost had to trip. They almost had to fail a bit before we could convince them that this is the path to success in the NFL. I hate to say it, but in the NFL, some of these things happen because of happy accidents, right? So somebody thought they had more time to train and they're like, ah, we screwed up the schedule and now we only have 15 minutes to do speed, you know, a couple of times a week and 15 minutes, like that's not right. even a proper warm up, right? Right. And so, <laughs> so the same sort of thing with this team, we said, okay, well, you know, we're going to do progressive accelerations as part of that workout. And you can start at whatever, 70%, go up to 80, 85%, 90 as part of that progression. And, and you can get it done in 15 minutes, right? But you have to do this quite a few times a week for it to work. And so they're like, okay, we'll do it, whatever, right? You know, and so they ended up doing it and they ended up doing well, you know, we don't have to say who it was, but they won. And I think stuff like that, unfortunately, you know how hard it is in sports. Sometimes people are so ingrained with the things that they do that there has to be a screw up. And then you're like, Oh, here's my chance. Like to try this. Right. Right. And I would say that unfortunately that's been 
the most difficult part is that I've had success, but it hasn't been because somebody said, Hey, Derek, you're an expert. Let's just do whatever you say. Right. Um, it's had to be a screw up. And I had to come in and swoop in and say, like, try this. And it has worked out. But I'm hoping, you know, over time, people start to see the light and go, well, okay, well, we have to do that now on a regular basis, because we don't want to get into those situations again. So yeah, first off, something that I love that you talk about is like, sometimes we get so caught up and I'm in the the soccer and basketball space primarily, but people get so caught up in these like correctives, right? And, you know, these fancy gym exercises. And I'm like, okay, this is all great for hamstring health, but like, how much are you actually sprinting? And they'll be like, what do you mean? We're not like, so wait, so the actual activity that's injuring your athletes, you're not trying to progressively build them into that. And they're like, no, I never thought of it like that. So I love that you always talk about using actual sprinting and speed development as a protective element of your hamstring programs. Yeah. Like the, the hilarious thing is that I've advised people in Scandinavia and Germany about doing sprinting as part of hamstring rehab. Right. And right. Like what you don't use Nordics, right? Like, um, <laughs> and, uh, it's like, I understand you're from that part of the world and you know, maybe there's some sort of patriotism around using that <laughs> exercise, but how did your player get hurt? Well, he was sprinting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let, why don't we fix that first? Right. So right. it's staring them in the face, but unfortunately you do have to hold their hand and walk them through it. And, you know, you and I could probably complain about it on the side, but the bottom line is like, well, you know, people, that's the way they do things, right? They can't see the obvious stuff or they don't do the obvious stuff. And our job as the border collies of fitness or whatever <laughs> is to round them up and get them to do what they need to do, get them in the pen. Right. So yeah. I've accepted that. That, you know, yeah, <laughs> so. no. that, that's great, man. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk about another topic that we're both obviously passionate about, and that's continuing education. So for starters, what I would love to hear is kind of, you know, how you continue to educate people during the quote unquote COVID era. Like, how have you educated people over the last 14, 15 months? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's been this way, right? Right. Like it's been, I was using Zoom when it first came out years ago. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is, this is okay. Right. Right. And I guess the good thing is that the pandemic has normalized and added credibility to its use. So now when somebody says, you know, I want to do a consult with you, and, no, I got to pay this much. People don't hesitate now because it's so accepted. Like, right. And, um, you get, you know, we can do this, we can record it, I can show things on the screen, probably just as well as if we did it in person, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's really how I've been doing it is in real time, talking with people, mentoring people. I've done presentations to staff at different universities and pro teams as well. And that's, that's always funny, because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's worse, like being at a facility with 20 staff and you see people nodding off or being on a Zoom call right. and seeing them nodding off. Right. <laughs> it's probably about the same, but it's you know, I think it's just like anything. You get used to it and it's just a new way of doing things. So for the most part, that's the way I've been doing it. And then I've started using a course platform, which I was kind of before the pandemic. I'm like, oh, I should probably do something online and do a course. And, and I was hemming and hawing and it wasn't, you know, it was a couple of months into the pandemic. That I'm like, OK, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I researched some and I just said, OK, whatever, I'm just going to use this one. Ended up being Kajabi. And yeah, I really like it. It allows me to do things that, you know, probably three or four years ago, I wasn't able to do. And I have some ideas now around, okay, I can have this course platform and maybe I have a client that I do this with, but I also do in-person stuff with them too. So, yeah. but they have this as a backup, you know, like I was saying with my in-person courses, I would do two days on a weekend, teach for 16 hours, and then people would take notes and I'd give them notes. And then they could forget a lot of what they saw, yep. but at least now with the virtual course, they have it for the rest of their life and they could refer to it and watch the videos again. And people have commented on that. It's like, yeah, I like the idea of having it permanently so that I can refer back. And yes. so I think that's been the interesting part, but I certainly, you know, and we can talk about this. I certainly think that there will be an important social and emotional component to in-person coming back. Yeah. So follow up to that. 
Did you already have this course done prior to all this, or did you have to go in and like record it and get it all set up so that you had it after the fact? Well, a bit of both. Like, okay, okay I'm a bit of a techno geek like yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I was like all the PowerPoint presentations and the layout of the course was, was laid out for in person. So it's yeah. like, you know, okay, I'll do some slides for like 45 minutes and then we'll do a demo. Then we'll do some slides and then we'll do a demo. And we just went back and forth in person. And so, you know, I bought a couple of cameras like GoPro with good image stabilization. And I had people record the practical sessions, mm. right? Which at the time I'm like, ah, oh, I'm just going to do that because I have the cameras and I might want to take a look at it and see how I can improve it. Right. Right. And so I had about, you know, 20 hours of footage of drills and demos that we did from New York, Dallas, Arizona, Vancouver, a couple other Montreal. Like I had all of this course material or practical material recorded. And I didn't really think about it at the time. And I had to pull it out of a hard drive and go like, oh, thank goodness I had this. So that's right. part of the courses too. So now I had to go back and I re-recorded the voiceovers. I had to, you know, shoot some videos of me talking like, hey, I'm a person, right? right. And and then put it all together. So it wasn't like it was, I mean, the good thing, it was all laid out, but you do still have to do the work to record it and put it all down and it on the course platform. So it took me about, you know, for each course, it's going to take me about two months to really put everything and assemble it in the way that I want to. So there's a decent amount of work involved. That's why I asked that question. People talk <laughs> about, they talk about getting the work done as athletes. There's work to be done in this side as well, right? Everybody has heard for the last like year now, oh, you got to get online. You got to be able to design programs online or consults or have a course. Well, you can do that, but it takes time and you got to put in the work. Yeah, it's crazy the amount of time. And especially when you're working at home, it's kind of always in the back of your mind, like, okay, I should be working on this. And it's not like going to a job or an office or even the gym. Right. And then you don't get paid right away, right? Yeah, so putting, that's absolutely. You, you put in two months, three months of work and you don't have money coming in. And then you're hoping when you launch it, okay, hopefully it starts coming in, right? So, right. and then you got to promote it and you got to put that hat on. So it, you know, it is definitely a lot of work and it, it can be stressful, but you know, like you and I both enjoy that. So yeah. it's just part of our makeup, I think. Yeah. And I think once you get in a rhythm with it, it's easier. I remember when I was going back and just basically laying out the complete coach stuff, I basically set an alarm that went off at 830 every night. Cause I knew at least at that point in time, my kids actually went to bed, but now, you know, but 8.30, I'd work 8.30 to 9.30. And I think you said something like that, right? Like, I thought I saw on Instagram, like, you were somewhere and your kid's doing something and you're working. I'm in the car, yeah. Yeah, that's what I do, too. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're off at basketball camp and I'm like, you know, they won't let the parents watch the camp because of COVID, right? So yeah. I'm in a park in my car, on the back of my car, typing stuff out. People are walking by looking at me. What's this guy doing? Right. So, <laughs> right. I love it, man. So coming back to the idea of continuing education, I think we talked about this before we got on air, but we're still probably a ways off from getting back to like the live big in-person events. But I'd love to hear your thoughts because I feel like you've really got your finger on the pulse here. Like, how do you see continuing education evolving going forward? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the you know million dollar question, right? Is like how, and I think everybody's doing this, like, will I be going back to the movie theater? Will I go see live music like I used right. to? Will I go to a game? Yeah. And, and people are doing that, I guess, right now. But there's going to be a sector of the population that's like, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know if you've been on a plane, but I haven't been on a plane for over a year. So I don't know what that experience is going to feel like. So I think you're right. There's probably going to be a year of feeling out and figuring out how this is going to look. And I think initially there might be this sort of knee jerk reaction to like, well, let's just hold a conference like we used to. <laughs> right. And that might not come off as well as you may think. So I think there's going to be like there's some people that I'm working with and they wanted to do a conference in November and we planned this a couple of months and they said, well, by then we can do in person. And I'm like, I don't know, man, like, cause you know how it is when you organize a conference, like it's yeah. a big endeavor in terms of like booking space and, you know, making sure you have hotel rooms and all that. And it's very stressful. It is. So 
if you have a lot of question marks about, you know, is this going to come like that? This is what's going on with the Olympic games right now. Right. So they 70% of Japan doesn't want it. Right. But they wow. have a contract with the IOC and it's probably going to come off somehow, but there's pressure. So I think yeah. that stress before was a lot of stress. So now do you want to put yourself in that position where, Hey, maybe there's a variant or an outbreak that throws a curveball into your plans for holding an in-person event. And there's going to be some people who are very ballsy and are going to do that and take that risk. I don't think I'm going to be that guy, <laughs> right. but, but certainly I think this hybridization is really interesting. And this idea that we could probably do an in-person event, but I'm still going to give you like virtual presentations, virtual resources, and you can access them at any time you want. Yep. And then we'll have an in-person component, which is probably more practical oriented, like demos and hands-on and a huge social component. Like we're going to have a party and we're all going to just get blitzed and whatever, you know, <laughs> who, who knows, right? right? But I think having that sort of hybrid model will probably be the most sort of intelligent way of doing it. Because if you just go straight virtual, people are like, no, nah, no, nah, we did that for a year, year and a half or two years. And if you go straight conventional, there's still going to be some fear. So I think some sort of hybrid would probably be the best. I don't know what you think. Yeah. No, I agree. So we were we were talking again before the show and talking about live events. And man, I, I think I held either nine or 10 over the years, like big events, right? We're not even talking yep. like the little workshops. And so I was definitely seeing the downturn in attendance, right? I felt like I was working harder to get fewer people in the door. And the allure of virtual of, oh, yeah, watch the course in your boxers on your couch, you know, like there was that allure of that and you were selling people that you don't have to travel and incur all those fees. So virtual was the hot thing. And now it's like we've been beat over the head with virtual without any prospect of doing something else for a year. And so I know there's a section that want live. Yeah. They want the networking. They want the energy. They want the atmosphere. But I think, you know, Bill has always done his intensives, right? Yes. And I think that's probably what you're going to see, at least initially, smaller, more controlled, for lack of a better term, you know, 8, 10, 12, 15 in a group. The big mega conferences, it's probably going to be a while. It's probably going to be a while because even if you could put that many people in a room, like you said, there's 20, 30 percent that won't go just because. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And, it, and, and like you said... It was hard enough in 2019 to put those together. So if you're losing that 20 to 30%, it's it's going to be very tight margins. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, you know, I hope and we get back soon. You know, do I like the big, huge events? Yeah. I, 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 it I depends think, on the event, right? Yeah, yeah. It depends yeah. on the event. Yeah, I liked yours because you guys, again, you guys had a great community around it and a lot of return attendees. And so there was this regularity and this familiarity with it, right? Yep. And then it wasn't just you had people doing this rapid fire, like you get 45 minute presentation and then you're just running people through. You gave me a lot of time to present and so people could really get to know my information. So I like that formula. But I guess the other part of it is like maybe hotels will be giving out deals so that you can hold those things for a little cheaper. I don't right. know. Or the other side of it, maybe they won't because they want to recover costs. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think maybe less frequent big events and these smaller sort of micro events where you have a dedicated following and the topics are deeper dives. I'm open to anything. And I think there will be a little bit of trial and error yeah. as part of this to see where people are at. And, and hopefully everybody's back working and gyms are all open. And so people do have that disposable income right. to participate in these events because I know a lot of people are probably holding on to their money. Yeah waiting to see where this goes. But yeah, I definitely like to collaborate with you guys and figure out ways to make this work and agree. Get back to Indy. Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, will they have the combine? Oh yeah. You know? I don't know. Well, didn't they do it out of like Arizona this year? Wasn't it like a virtual combine where they had like videos of the guys, but nobody was allowed on site? I don't know. Yeah. And then it just pro days where everybody made up the times. Right. <laughs> right? So <laughs> we're back to the hand timing. Like, oh, this guy <laughs> ran a four, two, one fastest we've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. 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 It's going to be a brave new world. The funny thing is that like, I think education has to change. And it seems like the people that are most likely to resist change are the universities, like, yes, which is unfortunate. But I see that as an opportunity for people like myself and you is that people are going to go through university with this dry education and rote learning and all that. So that when they leave, if we have some really dynamic ways of educating them and having a user experience, 
I think we're going to be successful. So it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. That'll be really interesting because I think we've proven over the last year, you don't have to go to class. You know, (laughs) like I'm sure these universities are freaking out like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? People are realizing they can learn from home. They don't need us. They don't have to live in our dorms or come to our classes. They can learn from their, their house or their whatever their apartment so that'll be really yeah. interesting to see how that changes and not pay 60 grand a year and have like, a huge student loan debt right exactly all right so this is kind of a random question but i would love to have something positive right to kind of hang our hat on here and i'd love to know like one or two things that you've learned about training programming or coaching as a result of COVID and kind of the situation we've been in for the last year well certainly remote coaching has a lot more credibility now I have and remote rehab and there were a lot of people I think rehab people were a little more resistant to do like consults like I even have friends who are like oh I gotta be able to touch them and you know do this and there's no way that this will ever work and then I've we've had some cases where we help people remotely and I think that's probably one of the things that I learned was that hey yeah we can get it done we don't have to be in the same room as somebody And it's got me thinking about like return to play and ideas around providing a service because for you and me, if you're in a relatively large city, you have access to practitioners who have a good amount of experience under their belt and have all these different people they've worked with. So, you know, somebody comes to you and like, hey, look at the rash I have. You're like, oh, yeah, I've seen 20 people with that rash, right? So I know how to handle it. But if you're in a small community somewhere like in Canada, I'll say like, you know, head smashed in Buffalo jump or wherever whatever it's called. <laughs> and, you know, you have a really serious orthopedic injury or you need some special training. Now you can do it with somebody in the other part of the world, right? Another right. part of the world. And you can get good service and good follow up and feel like you're being handled by somebody with a good amount of experience. So I think that reach is really attractive to me and others that you can help somebody on the other side of the planet and they can get good service and you can get compensated, right? Yeah. So I think that part is something that I've learned is that there's the trust around the technology that maybe I didn't have before or a trust in my ability to deliver without being there in person. Yeah. So I'm sure you've had similar experiences, right? So it's that's probably the biggest one. The flip side of that is that, again, I've been working with my son and my daughter, my older son and daughter, and working on real technical things because we have the time. Right. And so if you have the time in person to change something or work on technique and you have the repetition you can really make a big difference. So that's the flip side is like, if you're in person and you're not rushing through or you don't have a group of 20 people that you're working with, right. there is value in like small group working with people, knowing that you have time too. I think we're always like, oh shit, I got to fix it right away. Yes. So I knew we had some time because we couldn't get back to sport, full sport right away. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to work on, you know, my kids all do Olympic lifting now. We have the equipment here and they're very good now. And before I'm like, wow, that's going to be, I won't do it because we don't have the time and they got got to take them to basketball practice or whatever. And same with the sprinting, even though it's my thing, I didn't want to overcoach my kids. I didn't want to be like, what's the guy's name? I watched the ESPN. um, Marinovich. Marinovich. I didn't want to be Marv Marinovich, right? But because I have more time to do it, I was doing it. I was microdosing my parenting, I guess. Yeah. And it worked out really well. And I'm very happy with the way they look. And people like will say like, wow, they look really good. It's like, yeah, it's genetics, man. Um, <laughs> um, but it is a product of the in-person meticulous work. Yep. So those are the two experiences that I've had. And I think it's very easy to, and again, and I'll use the pro sport example is like, whenever I work with pro sports, I always feel like I've left something on the table table like I haven't had enough time yes you know to really make a change because there's all this other stuff going on and yep the attention spans are very short so I think those are the two COVID experiences that I've really valued and will kind of try and build on moving forward I love it man okay so you've already done the big question it's a long time ago but they can go listen to that so I'm interested if you could give a young up-and-coming physical prep coach one piece of advice what would it be it's a good question I would say Be really good at one thing like, you know, and it doesn't mean that that's all you're going to do. You're not going to buttonhole yourself like whatever it is, be really freaking good at that and study it, you know, and find all the people that can help you in that. And it might be sprinting. It might be powerlifting. It might be deadlifting. It might be Olympic lifting. It might be plyometrics or something, you know, and then there's all these different things you can do, but be really good. I think 
it's so easy to be a generalist nowadays and you see people going like, well, you know, I'm an expert in this, right? On Instagram and, you know, I don't even know how the algorithms work, but some <laughs> guy has like two, 200,000 followers and everything he puts on there is just horrible, right? right? <laughs> right. And, you know, but he's sensational, right? We won't right. have to mention any names here, but that's the one thing I see. I think, and you could probably agree is that if we go and we flip through social media, can you find somebody who's really good at one thing and is doing really amazing things, right? And there's not that many. There's all these people trying to come off as experts and trying to say like, oh, I do this and I work with pro athletes, right? Right. And that's really not an indicator of anything aside from maybe your marketing abilities. So I think that's the one thing I would tell people is be really good at one thing. And you know, the 10,000 hour rule is probably just the tip of the iceberg. But if both you and I go back in our experiences and when we learned and who we learned from, that's a long time. Yeah. And that's a lot of blood and sweat and tears to learn that stuff so that you can, you know, funnel that up to this peak where you're like, okay, I kind of know a good amount about that subject, even though there were like 30,000 hours or whatever it was and trips and, you know, 100,000 miles of travel. And I think that's what we're missing is that, are you really good at something? Yes. And I, there's not enough people like you and I know enough people that we can say that, yeah, that guy's good. That guy's good. Yes. But even that, even finding and building that network, took decades yeah. to do that, to find those people, right? But yeah. at least you can pick up the phone and go, okay, yeah, I need help on this subject. But we need more of those people. We need more of those experts that you can just pick up the phone and go, I need to know about this subject. And we don't have enough of those right now. This is a fantastic point. And so the analogy that I use is when I'm working with younger basketball players that want to say, get into the NBA, right? I say, look at every person that's in the NBA and they are truly elite at at least one thing, right? Like at least one. So like this guy's an amazing shooter. If you leave him open, he's going to hit 80% of the time. This guy can play defense on anybody in the league. This guy can go get a bucket at any point in time. It's the same thing here, right? So like, yes, you're most well known for speed and rightfully so. But then you can add all the other ancillary stuff underneath it to make you well-rounded. But getting truly elite at that one thing is what makes you stand out. Yes. Yeah. It distinguishes us, right? Yeah. And it gets us into these questions of like, well, how much time does it take you to be good at that? And I don't know, but yeah. You know, and there's some people who say like, well, why can't I be an expert? You know, because I'm 30 years old. It's like, well, because you're 30 years old, man. <laughs> right. Like, right. Organically, it does take some time. And like, and now again, I'm in 52 this year and I still think I could be way better at a lot of things. Right. Yep, and for sure. And so now I have to make this decision because I was talking to my wife about this the other day because hey, I'm going through a midlife crisis. Let's be honest here. Um, <laughs> and I said, when I was an athlete, a track athlete, I was good. Like in say, when I was like 14 years old, I could run the hundred meters and I would come fourth in the province. Right. So, but I wanted to win. So then I went from running 100s and 200s and then I tried hurdles and I would you know, come third. Right. And then I went to long jump and triple jump and then I would start winning events. And then in triple jump, I could go to college and win events and nationally I could win or do well. Right. Right. And so I got into that event because I could win and I could travel and I could get a scholarship and all that. Right. And I said to her, I wish I just focused on the hundred. Right. And just got better at the hundred. And but if I did, I wouldn't have had all these other experiences and I wouldn't have traveled around. Uh, so you can't be good at everything, right? You yeah. can't, it's going to dilute your, your experiences, right? So, yeah. and that was the best analogy I could come up with is that I followed this path that got me to the highest point. Now, can I go back and work on my hundred? Yeah, you could do that. But if I had stuck around going, I want to be the best. And you see this in sports all the time. I want to be the best basketball player. Well, so do like 500 million other people. Right. Right. But if you want to be the best at curling, you know, probably a little easier. Not that there's, you know, great rewards in that sport. Sport. But but you do at some point you have to make a decision is what do I want to do and what do I want to be good at? And then you plow through that and see how you do. And then you can kind of go from there. But it's so hard to be a generalist and see that success. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you don't go to Miss Universe and go like, who's the most well-rounded here, right? Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very specific you know? <laughs> criteria there, right? Like, wow, her talent contest was sensational, right? Right. Um, that was probably the most politically incorrect <laughs> metaphor. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, it's so tough to reward people for being generally good. But you still can. I mean, you know, throughout our careers, I'm sure we're all trying to like shore up different areas of our knowledge so that we can speak intelligently about just about anything. But yeah, 
I think that's the one thing is be good at one thing, at least to start. And I'm sure you and I, if you held a conference and you're looking for that one guy who's good at something that you can learn from Absolutely. in the room, right? And then once you talk to them, you're like, okay, check that box off. Like I talked to him. Right. I talked to Robert Sapolsky, right? You know, stress is bad, right? And right. Stress is good. So yeah, I think that's probably the one piece of advice that I would give. And I don't know if there's one answer and maybe you could answer that too, is like, so how do I do that? You know, that's the next question. Like, well, how do I? <laughs> so, okay. So, so this brings up a great point. The thing that I wrote down was, and I've talked about this numerous times on this show is differing from knowledge versus experience, right? The 30 year old expert is rich in knowledge, right? They've accumulated a lot of facts and information, but they're not rich in experience. So that's where they can, you know, recite an entire page from super training. But as far as taking that and applying it in a gym or in a team environment, they can't do it. Right. And so that's the difference. Like you've been coaching how many years now? 30 plus, I would assume. Like you're rich in experience. So, you know, when this idea or this concept would work and who would work with and the circumstances that would allow it to work because you have this breadth of experience and it's not just like, oh, I know this one thing that I read from Charlie Francis. And so I'm going to do that with everybody I work with forever. I have a good question here. Okay. Did you read super training cover to cover? No, I tried. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Everybody said you can't do it. And I was like, I'm just that guy. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And I got it to page 173 and I stopped. I'm like, I'm done. Tapped out. And that's only a third. That's only a third of the way. <laughs> the one I have is like 500 pages and it's eight and a half by 11 pages. And it's like 10 point font. <laughs> I have two copies and I think I've read about 20 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, brilliant book, brilliant reference text, but yeah, not meant to be okay. read cover to cover. Oh, well, that should be a promotion. Like we got to find somebody who has done it cover to cover. Okay. If anybody has read it and can somehow <laughs> prove it to me, please email me. And I will send you a prize for your efforts <laughs> and feature you on the show. Oh, jeez. But, okay. All right. So last but not least, lightning round. Six fairly short questions. Your answer oh, can be as long or short as you like. Number one, talk to me about this new training program you're dropping. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Microdosing. It's like I call the summer speed program. I did it last year because gyms were closed. I'm like, okay, everybody's going to sprint, right? Right. And I sprinted the heck out of everybody. And so this year it's called the microdosing program because it's mainly just the sprinting. And then I've allowed, you know, the volumes are lower, you know, daily volumes, but then you can still go lift. You can still go, you know, run a marathon or whatever you want to do. So right. that's what I'm launching in this week here is I basically provided you with a resource that has, and I think there's at least 12 videos that walk you through things. And But the training program is something you can take and you can kind of move things around and go, okay, yeah. I have 12 weeks of training that I can build around my CrossFit routine or my training for football or soccer or whatever, or just general fitness. So there's some flexibility there. It's an interactive program that gets dropped every week. You get a new week and there's hyperlinks to see all the videos. And so that's what's coming out. So hopefully people like that and they can, and I say in there, I'm like, it's a microdosing program, but that doesn't mean you're doing like magic mushroom pre-workout before you sprint. So <laughs> I love it. Uh, could my daughter do it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Dude. I think the volume is such, I'll send you a copy, and the volume is such that, yeah, it's very short. And if you said, I just want to do two days a week, it would work really well. That's awesome. I think I tagged you on the Instagrams. Yeah, that was her, amazing. Dude, she loves track. Now, she's like 20th percentile height and weight, so I don't know if she's going to have the tools but I've never seen her so excited about a sport as when she came home from her first track practice. She loves it. That's great. That's yeah. great to hear. And I mean, you could see her too when she's running. She's smiling, possibly because she just smokes that girl in the middle lane. But <laughs> she was having fun. She was having fun. Okay, number two. What's the best thing that happened to you in the last year during COVID? It's just having this personal time. Like I have this time to do whatever I want, whenever, and it might be doing something with the kids or, and mostly it is like this family thing, right? Yeah. And if you have kids yourself, and I think that's before we were so scheduled, yes. right? And yeah. it's just like, boom, boom, you're just going and there wasn't time to experience stuff. It was just happening. And then, you know, one of the great things we did as a family, like we live right by a golf, it's a public golf course. So in the first months of COVID, it was like empty. So we would go run around the, for the golf course. I don't golf, yeah. right? right. <laughs> so I, I've never been in there, you know, so we're, we're like running, we're doing tempo runs on the fairways and running hills and doing all these things. So 
I think that above all, that's probably the most amazing thing that happened was having this this time. No, that's awesome, man. So that leads me into number three. And you kind of already talked about this, but how's the kiddos training coming? They doing all right? Oh, yeah. Again, you know, the nature of sport with kids is that basketball, like I put my daughter in a basketball camp and she hasn't done a lot of it. She's just naturally a good athlete, right? right? And she said she was amazed that like all the kids that were in the camp were just basketball people. Like they mm. didn't know any other sports. Yeah. Even physically, they weren't that gifted, but they could hit threes from anywhere. Like that right. was the one thing, right? <laughs> right. And they knew every player in the NBA and she doesn't know anyone except for maybe LeBron James, right? Right. And so that was really interesting is just, I'm trying to take a traditionalist approach of like, let's make them good overall general athletes and we're doing the weightlifting we're doing the sprinting we're doing plyos and now i've had more time to really develop that out so my son like went from bench pressing the bar to now he's doing like he's doing reps at 225 at 16 years old oh my gosh um, wow yeah so and we haven't again i haven't marinovished him we've just kind of done it over time we've had extra time to work on these things so Yeah, that's been pretty interesting is you can actually be a strength and conditioning coach with your kids because the sports aren't getting in the way. Right. I love it, man. Okay. And again, this shows how long it's been since we've been on the show, but... Talk to me about the Chiefs. Oh, geez. That started in 2015. So when I probably first talked to you, I was just getting into that. Yes. And so it's been an interesting journey because I, again, I like the idea that I've had time to kind of get them to do things that I thought would be good for the team and the players, particularly in the off season. And they, you know, like any organization, they're not going to believe you right away. So every year I've dropped something else in and it's worked out pretty good. And I think, you know, I did some stuff for them this past off season in terms of developing some programming around special teams. And so hopefully that works really well. But you know, the bottom line is they got a really good head coach. They got good coordinators. They got really good players. So the GM, you know, has found the right people for the right spots. And the personnel is so important as you saw last Super Bowl, right? Oh, we have you know, two injured O-linemen and one guy's in Montreal being a doctor and that really hurt them. So you got to have the horses. It doesn't matter what the coaches are doing. It doesn't matter what strength program you're on, what speed program you're on. If you don't have the right horses in the right positions, it's going to hurt you. So I think the whole experience has been very interesting. It's so easy to say like, oh yeah, I played this role. It's like, well, you know, the quarterback goes down. Nobody cares, right? It's right. So, you know, and I think that's a good thing about pro sports it can be very humbling and you're just like one person yes massive operation yeah and that's the other thing is it takes so many things to fall into place for people to win and most of all that's a personnel issue but certainly if as you saw with like golden state if you get injuries it can decimate you yeah right so yeah it's an ongoing evolution and i'm hoping last year i started doing stuff with the toronto maple leafs and you know they won the canadian division the regular season this year and they got good players they got good coaches the staff is really good so you know maybe it's just luck mike maybe it's just you know you got some horseshoes up your butt and you get associated with the team and so we'll see you know it's it's just another again it's what you talked about it's all this experiential stuff that really pays off and gives you a broader perspective on how to approach a project or work with the team. And I don't think I'm any more knowledgeable, but certainly I have much more experience after having gone through that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Talk to me about the origins of the hashtag. And we're not talking about social media, (laughs) although you will see it on social media. I was... Charlie Francis always said, like, if you see something and it looks good, it probably means it is good, right? So if you watch some, you and I could go to a track meeting and and watch people run and not even know what place they came in. And you'd say like, okay, that person's good. That person's good. Because I think we're wired that way naturally to say like, okay, that person can run well. I want to mate with her, whatever, right? Like my wife's a runner. So (laughs) um, And so I was at Don Saladino's gym in New York a number of years ago. And we were just working with general population people or just kids or whatever in his gym at drive. And I started like, I was using an iPad or something. It was just filming people. And then, you know, I wanted to show them like, okay, this is the right position here. And I drew a line here, a line here, a line here. And I think I drew three lines, right? right? And then somebody said, hey, that looks, I think it was Chris Wykus or something said, that looks like a, kind of like a hashtag or something. And then I put the final one and I'm like, yeah, that does. Right. You know? Right. So that was just, again, one of those things where you're like fooling around. And, and so then I started putting it on my social media 
And then people are like, yeah, that works really well. And I'm sure there's people saying, oh, that's like an oversimplification and like it's a gimmick and all that. But but most of the feedback I've received has been, yeah, this has been very helpful for my high school athletes or yeah. my soccer players. And and so if it's relatable and it's visual, awesome, great. You know, I'm not trying to over-intellectualize it and say like, well, it's got to be like 92 degrees or whatever. Right. So I think it's helpful. Like you said, if it's a teaching moment and it helps people understand concepts better, I think that's a win. Yeah, yeah. And so it's especially in the social media environment we're in like boom like the hashtag like okay i get it right yeah so i've affected something yes i love it i love it okay six last but not least what's next for Derek hansen oh i gotta fly out to indy and uh, yeah uh, hang out with rufus and you the the one and only rufus yes yeah also i call him murphus but uh (laughs) but yeah i think that is big on my plate like i'm still doing all my virtual courses i have a rehab course coming out but it's going to be, what's that first trip? Yep. What is that? You know, because it's kind of like, okay, it's going to be this valuable thing. Right. And I, I don't want to waste that. Right. It's like, you got three wishes, right? So I, wherever I travel, I want it to be like a good bang for the buck and like, and meet as many people as I can. And so I think that's kind of what I'm thinking about is I want to do a trip. I want to be impactful. I want to see as many different people as possible. And I want that to be part of you know what I'm doing professionally somehow. And I don't know if that's going to be working with the pro team or anything, because that's, you know, that's very business, right? Yes, you have to, for sure. but if I'm hanging out with you and we're going out and hanging out with a group of guys and stuff like that and talking shop, I think that's a pretty important experience that I want to have. Yeah. So I think that's, just off the top of my head, professionally, I'm not really thinking about things as much as almost socially. Right. Um, you know, I don't know if that's wrong. but No, uh, I, I think everybody's kind of in that boat, right? Like, I think the thing I'm most excited about this year is either going on vacation or getting our like a group of guys that I went to college with. We do like a dude's trip. I think I'm most excited about vacation and my dude's trip as I am just about anything else. Where, where, year, would, so. where is your dude's trip? Number one choice for dude's <laughs> trip. What location? Come on. Now, so one of my buddies has a lake cottage. So we go up to his lake. There's like no internet access up there. We fish. We enjoy alcoholic beverages. We grill. I mean... It's like just a dude's trip for like two and a half days. So pretty awesome. It's like a really solid beer commercial. It really, it really is. (laughs) Like if I had a better beard, you know, it it could be, or if it was like, it's like a pontoon lake boat. So it's not like, uh, or a pontoon boat. It's not like jet skis and cool stuff, you know, where there's like water flying in slow motion. It's none of that. It's more just like, oh, let's hang out on the dock and drink a beer and fish and hang out. That's about it. I watched the deliverance again uh, a couple (laughs) of weeks ago. Yeah. That's a real guy movie. That's right. That's right. Well, Derek, man, it's been awesome catching up with you today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great stuff that you're doing? Just the, the again, Instagram the is, the, is the pipeline. Yeah. It's just Derek M. Hansen, one word. And then it's the two websites that I, I do, the sprintcoach.com, which is more sort of consulting. And then the runningmechanics.com is the coursework. Um, that I'm doing. So hopefully, you know, again, I'll be able to announce there was a whole bunch of courses I had to cancel last year. So at some point we'll do some in person and they'll be advertised on that running mechanics site. But yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I get those in the show notes. And again, buddy, great catching up with you today, man. Yeah. Likewise. I apologize for it being so long, but yeah. I don't think anybody's going to complain that we talked a little bit too much. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me once again, Mike. And it's good to see you. my friend that does it for this week's show with Derek really hope you enjoyed it he is a wealth of knowledge he's super fun to catch up with and I just have such a high degree of respect not only for what he's doing from a coaching consulting perspective but obviously from the continuing education perspective as well he's going to continue to push the envelope and I know he's a guy that I'll continue to learn from for many many years so if you enjoyed this episode I want to ask you a small favor Wherever you consume podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, uh, Amazon, anywhere you consume podcasts, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please take two seconds out of your day and do that right now. That way you'll know each and every week when I drop a new episode, it'll get delivered straight to your phone, iPad, tablet, whatever you got, and that way you will be caught up and you will get to learn from great subject matter experts each and every week. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. 
Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.